It's time for the everyman. Well, real man talk. Let's go. Time to grind. Get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line. Cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life. Uh, I feel alive when I got a goal in sight. Chip away, I gotta fight. Ain't nobody else in sight. Man, I think I see the light. Yeah, that shit is so bright. Follow me. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Everyman Podcast. Tonight, we are joined by a very special guest. We are joined by Emily Setti, the Senior Lecturer in Criminology at the University of Surrey. How are you doing tonight, Emily? Yeah, good, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, we are really, really excited to have you tonight. I have to be honest, we have just discussed this very briefly in our in our pre-pod chat. We don't know a huge amount about this, this topic. It's mainly because as a group of men, we probably don't talk about this type of topic. We see it on the news, potentially. And it's something that we're really interested to, to learn from you and, and your experiences and the things that you know to help other men who may have had experiences with um, some of your the things you've researched uh, previously. So b- before we get started and we go way deep into all things Emily and your your background, your, your life, your career, all those sorts of things... Um, how's everyone's week been? We'll start with you, Ethan. How's your week been? Yeah, my week's been sour, mate. Um, I look forward to, to coming on here and, you know, you bringing that energy and that vibe and your, your game show host voice when introducing our Thanks, guests. That's right. <laughs> what I really enjoy. That's what I live for. Um, yeah, looking forward to, the, to getting the chat with Emily. You know, I've obviously been hearing things from, from Lou and obviously done some looking into your background. It's, it's remarkable some of the work that you've done. Um, and yep. the, the 10,000 factoids that Lewis has been sending me for the past week or so. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward, but it's been a good week. It's been a good week. What about you, James? What have you been the new kid on the block? Yeah, good week for me, uh, to be honest. Uh, just trying to keep high spirits, you know. I think it's too easy to be miserable, so just trying to stay happy. It's been a, a four day week for me. Uh, that's me off for a week, so uh, I won't try and rub that in too much, but you know, a little bit of respite for me now so, so james i don't think many of the listeners know much about your background and, and what you've actually done fairly recently in the change of your life so you used to live in the north of east of england and you moved yeah. right to the uh, north of scotland yeah six hours away from home yeah and how we've, are you finding uh, that we've, we've, yeah it's nice um so obviously uh, i'm married to lewis's sister um uh so it's nice to be able to see her every day because i was working up here originally he has um, to say that doesn't he he has so... to say nice to see your sister every day yeah it's class um but yeah yeah I can, I can it, confirm, it, it, uh, james i was gonna say i can also confirm it's nice to see lucy's sister every day as well <laughs> sorry emily i had to get that in it's a nice change Good. And Marco, how's your week been? Yeah, my week's been um, pretty easy going. Um, I've not been up to too much, to be honest, this week. Um, I've recently just recovered from a, from an illness. I had a I had a toe that got that got infected um, and had me oh. out a couple of weeks. So um, I'm just easing my way back into it, into things. So so just getting back into like in the gym and 
um yeah so sort of getting back into working and stuff so yeah that's uh that's pretty much it to be honest but um but yeah emily i'm really excited to um to talk to you today um to see and hear what you've um you know what you what you've what you've worked on throughout your career um but yeah yeah let's take it away guys um cool yeah i think emily the, the first sort of question i would have well before sort of starting um going into your your career and what you do what what made you get into your your line of work because i think it is a very specialist area of um of, of lecturing it's not possibly what i would have seen too many people uh do as the, the sort of day job so what made you want to get into the work that you do um yeah no good question because i do have people say like oh you know you can actually get paid to focus on this area of work so um absolutely get what you're saying um yeah i guess um i always like broadly wanted to go down like an academic career path like yeah. um ever since yeah. i was a kid loved learning loved school in that academic way um very cool yeah. kid i was and all of that and then um i always knew i'm more veered to the kind of human side of stuff like i'm interested in people and i like figuring that kind of stuff out and i i knew that was sort of the direction i was always going to go in um to some extent um and then i was kind of interested in this kind of criminal behavior side of things criminal justice like how we respond to this stuff particularly mm -hmm. when the behaviors involve young people and yeah. um it was quite coincidental really that by the time i was kind of ready to do a phd um young people's online sexual behaviors were becoming quite a big deal um and people were getting concerned about that so i thought oh i can just do my phd on this topic and then i started yeah. researching that and then it just kind of unfolded from there right um mm -hmm. to now i just talk to them about all things sex and relationships basically online and offline yeah that is i, I can imagine that's really interesting actually and it's definitely something when I was growing up and I remember early relationships and, and I, I always remember like the, the, the peer pressure of, well, have you had sex? Um, and, and, and within like men, young lads growing up, whoever was the last person in the friends group to lose their virginity, there was almost like a stigma attached to that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure how open the guys are about talking about this sort of stuff, but I, I was fairly young. And I remember almost being labelled cool for being someone quite young, having sex at an earlier age versus what maybe other people uh, and some of my friends did. And with the rise in social media and the sexual sexualization of some of the apps that people use every single day, I can imagine that the social pressure for young people to feel like they have to potentially sexualize themselves even just through content to get likes, get views, to feel popular is even worse than how it was for, for me growing up. So I'm 30 and social media really wasn't a thing back then. I think Bebo was a thing <laughs> when I was like 16. <laughs> Never mind Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, um, where they are, where it's all about how many followers you have. It's all about being semi-famous with loads of views. Um, have you seen in your experience that the rise of these new social media platforms that's increased sort of the sexualization of young people today yeah i mean it's difficult to say isn't it like is this stuff 
quantitatively kind of more or less than before because I think yeah. often it's this adult sort of trait isn't it to say oh what's happening right now is, is so different and so problematic compared to before so I try to think about okay exactly like what's going on here because you're right like pressures have always been there and I think it's quite kind of difficult in adolescence to actually navigate that and figure out like where you sit within all of those narratives. And that might be the peer group. It might be what your family says about stuff. And, you know, there's a whole sort of, well, what I call like an ecosystem of, of what you're engaging with as you, as you grow up and you're having your relationships, you know, and you're starting to experiment with all of that stuff and have your own experiences. But the, the social media landscape is definitely having an effect right it's it's now becoming part of of the way in which this is all happening and like for today's teenagers it's it's definitely seamless it's not it's not like oh this yeah. this digital stuff that's over here and completely separate it's so embedded and not just what they have to be performing and doing in these spaces and they can often be quite ambivalent about that you know that there is social pressure but it can go wrong very quickly you know like certain what I find when I speak to teenage boys is that yeah there's like a celebration of having sex and losing your virginity and, and being that way in maybe yeah. ways for women and girls it's kind of not it kind of goes the other way but yeah only like certain types of guys you know the content these kids are seeing online is a very particular type of masculinity it's a certain bodily appearance it's like it's all of these sort of um, meanings around that about what it means to be a successful you know, often heterosexual young guy, right? That looks a particular yeah. way. And a lot of the teenage boys I speak to see it and it's kind of this idealistic thing that they're actually don't feel confident in living up to at all. Um, yeah. So it's quite complex, actually. No, I think you're you're really right there because it, we've spoke about this on some previous podcasts. Ethan, I know you've just described like the body image perspective of we look on Instagram and we see you've mentioned Chris Hemsworth about 7 million times on this on this podcast, how you've got posters of him on your wall and all those sorts of things. Um, I can, I can only imagine what it's like being a young person who maybe has, you haven't quite developed your own self identity, self worth, and you're, you are looking to celebrities or, or people with a huge following of, is that what I should be aspiring to be? Mm. yeah for me yeah exactly and i think oh yeah yeah sorry no so, sorry emily no you go um no no yeah i was just gonna say like i'm i'm on the opposite foot to, to lewis and what you said there lewis quite resonates to me um mm -hmm. you know obviously probably emily you've heard this quite a bit but obviously i was i was a bit of a late bloomer so i i lost my virginity when i was 18 um i'm also going to just say i hope my mom's not watching this episode because she's just start watching the podcast so i Turn this episode off right now, ma'am, if you're going <laughs> to watch it. Um, but yeah, so I lost my virginity at 18 and I lost mine quite unconventionally um, with multiple people at once, which was something that sort of was what? not really the norm. Yeah, so I, I lost, this isn't brag, I hate talking about it because I was such a naive kid, but I actually lost my virginity with two lasses and another lad who's my best friend in like a four, okay. foursome. So yeah, um, so be, and, and it wasn't Rob O'Ryan, and it wasn't Rob O'Ryan who are my two like best pals. Um, no, but and and at the time that was such a big deal for me. The the reason I'm saying that is because it's such a big deal for me because I've always been a big lad and I was always never really probably fancied or looked at in a certain way by the girls in high school or 
you know, sort of even sixth form because of that, you know, it was always a label that, you know, you were, you like, it was like almost like girls were looking at a bit of disgust, like, and there was no real oversized or larger role models, whether that's men or women, like there are now. Um, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you do see, like, say Chris Hemsworth on Instagram, you know, your fitness trainers, but also you now see the body confident people on there as well. You know, people who are of a plus size, and I know it's sort of now a bit more mainstream with models and, you know, catwalks and things like that on the male and female. But, you know, for me growing up, it was a lot harder because of the, the way I was bearing and, you know, the, the sort of way people sort of looked at us. So I just wanted to contrast that to, to the way Lewis was, you know, and, and, and on that side. So, but there, yeah, Emily, sorry, I'll, I'll let you take on your point. Sorry. Yeah, no, that it is really interesting, isn't it? Because like kids now say like there is a lot more, well, there is diversity of content out there, right? But, you know, the way the sort of social media algorithms work and how they throw stuff at you, sometimes you're not always seeing that. And even if you are, there's a lot of shame that's done in response. Like someone puts up something that looks a bit different and then there's a lot of abuse and criticism. But then what's funny is, is sometimes even the like really idealized like perfect stuff can also be criticized like it's a it's a sort of like unpleasant sort of space sometimes isn't it like how people interact with each other and and when you're trying to consume all that and figure out what it all means um i think it is tricky like something i try and do with kids like that they can they can show quite a lot of digital literacy so they'll say things like oh it's not realistic it's edited it's this it's that and they can kind of figure that out they know it's not real whatever real means but then they they still aspire to it they're like it's not real but like that is perfect though that is how we'd want to look ideally and mm-hmm. i think you have to then go that stage of like breaking down well like why do we idealize a certain way of looking a certain way of being like why is there only one way to be that is celebrated like moving away from whether it's real or fake like why do we mm-hmm. even like put that at the top of the the, the hierarchy anyway um, and get yeah. that kind of critical thinking going, you know, because most people don't like, like if there's this one thing, like 99.9% of people are going to not feel great. Right. If that's the, if that's what it's got to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's all around this um, unattainable standards that society is putting on a pedestal and it's due to things like editing videos f- mm-hmm. uh, and filters and all those sorts of things. Um, we caught up with, Nathan Jones uh, recently, who is a clinical director for addiction, and he was talking around porn being a, one of mm. the the leading addictions for for uh, people currently, and how actually that that porn addiction and and the addiction to watching content is actually having a real impacting people's everyday love lives and and sexual. Um, lives with with their partners and, and people they care about because they are actually viewing that content as what real sex love is versus what it truly is with that real human connection um mm. and i think that probably goes hand in hand to or, or correlates quite clearly to some of the research that you've probably done and are doing because there's this rise in getting things instantly so if someone wants to have sex, they, the chances are they might just go and watch porn. So they're actually having worse relationships with people that they care about because they're watching porn versus having a meaningful connection. And I think mm. some of the work that he's doing around helping people overcome those addictions is, and, and he, he was saying it's one of the biggest cases that people come to him about. And he didn't realize that maybe before 
working in the arena that he is because his background is alcohol and drug addiction. That was his personal journey. Um, and following that episode, I didn't realize that that was such a big issue within people's lives. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, this sort of narrative around like addiction with things to do with the internet full stop and also like porn um, in particular. Mm. Like, obviously, that's not like my field. So I wouldn't yeah. want to sort of take away from his expertise. Like, I'm sure obviously he knows of kind of more about whether he can judge uh, uh, someone's use of porn as addictive on whatever yeah. sort of criteria he's using to make that judgment. Like when I sort of talk about it with with kids, I, I guess, well, it's almost like any addiction really, isn't it? Like, I think what happens now with porn is that it's often like held up as this big problem. And, you know, mm -hmm. when I go into schools and I speak to like teachers and staff, it's like the big thing that they're worried about. And I just, I sometimes wonder whether it's getting almost like too much emphasis because even if you go back to like a model of addiction, like you don't just mm -hmm. randomly have an addiction, like it comes mm -hmm. from somewhere. And yeah, there's yeah. an argument for the fact that your porn consumption may affect how you relate to people in your everyday life and what you expect, but also your pre-existing position in terms of your relationships and your connectivity and all of that will mm -hmm. lend itself to particular types of engagement with porn to begin with. Right. And, you know, I think, a lot of people can kind of put it in its place and and and, and reflect and, and not have it sort of interweave in their lives in that very destructive way. But then mm -hmm. even without getting to that addiction end of it, there is still a need to really engage. Well, I suppose, again, like how it's playing a part in this ecosystem, right? Because even some teenage boys I speak to, like a lot of watching porn is actually about performativity of doing so in your male peer groups, right? It's like, mm -hmm. this is like being a lad. This is being a teenage boy. And like, even to the extent that they'll say like, we shouldn't be stopped from watching it because this is just what it means to be a teenage boy. And they're taking away our nature from us by telling us we're not allowed to do this. And so it's mm -hmm. interesting, like what narratives they're picking up about what is a normal thing for boys to want to do. And they'll say like, mm -hmm. oh, girls don't really like porn, do they? Because girls aren't really visual and they like romance and they actually want a relationship. Whereas we just want to like, you know, see the, the vision of people having sex or whatever. And I'm like, where have you got that from? That that has to be your sexual subjectivity. Like, where have you learned that? Where have you picked that up from? So I find it interesting, basically, in short, like I find it interesting how people relate to porn and what that actually shows about how they're relating to themselves like more broadly and mm -hmm. rather that well as well as then what are you taking away from porn back into your life right it's like a two okay. two-way street if, if that makes sense no yeah that does make sense um I'm probably just letting that sink in a little bit because I'm probably or grew up how you were what you were challenging because it, it, I I remember growing up probably similar to the boys. You watch things like American Pie, for example. That was that was a, a film series when when we were growing up, and that was all around. That's almost lad culture, sex. It's really cool to be the lad, and it's probably little social pressures like that. And I have a sporting background, which is very that lad, lad, lad culture, and it, it's probably just. What, what was perceived to be cool versus how you really feel. And you always, I, I felt, because I'm a fairly sensitive person, I will have a laugh as much as anyone else, but I always felt if I stepped away from that character of being a lad, 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 and went, hang on, this isn't quite right, especially as you're younger before you've developed that self-confidence to speak up 
based on your own morals, ethics, and what you truly believe in, you're almost the black sheep for um, saying coming out and saying that. And mm. yeah, and and I think that's pro- maybe that's still a struggle that young people have today. Uh, I'm not entirely mm. sure, but I I remember feeling that uh, as a young person growing up, um, mm. that that sense of I had to act a certain way in order to maybe fit in or or, or be accepted. Yeah, and like how you relate to sex and relationships, even as like a heterosexual, when you're a teenager, actually it can yeah. be more about your role in your same gender peer group actually like among groups of boys the figure of a girl or female actually becomes quite symbolic in terms of their relationships with each other and how they play off on that together and then when these when I say speak to boys one-on-one and I'm like okay what's it like when you're with your girlfriend then like away from all of that and that's when you start to get that conflict and it feels a bit different you know Um, And it's how can we kind of make sense of that? Because we are all part of systems and units and all of that. Like we do have these multiple identities and we are making sense of ourselves in all these different contexts. But it's like you can get lost in that sometimes, can't you? Like you say, particularly when you're young and you're figuring that out. But then I think adults do as well. So, (laughs) yeah. And so from what you've seen, have you is there almost like a point in someone's life where they can break away from that mold to a degree is is there is it an age thing is it a experience thing is it a actually that's not me as a person because i definitely recognize i got to a certain stage in my life where i stopped trying to conform to that pressure of what i how people how the people i was hanging around with made me feel i should act versus how i wanted to act mm yeah and you definitely see that learning process don't you but I mean yeah you've got to have the social and emotional resources to be able to go on that journey right depending on the conditions of your life will determine mm-hmm. how that plays out right I mean I mean I do think particularly around sex and relationships I don't think that there is this kind of like end result adult that kind of knows what they're doing <laughs> um I yeah. will, like I don't know what I'm doing you know I'm us. not saying <laughs> it's none of us do right like as in I find it really interesting when we kind of talk try and educate you know you've got relationships and sex education in schools and and a lot of the time it's being delivered by adults who maybe have their own hang-ups and their own issues and look at unresolved yeah. stuff right I mean you only need to kind of look at the figures of what goes on in adult relationships around like sexual satisfaction and like happiness in a relationship and all of that stuff is still something people are kind of going on a journey with right and like we sometimes think we've figured certain things out and then we realize oh yeah actually there's like something else to figure out and it changes again and and so so it's kind of about equipping people with the resources to to deal with that journey rather than like oh yeah you can tick the box now you've kind of got it sorted because maybe you do but then something else will come up right like it's not static is it I have to agree with you, Emily. Like um, speaking from experience, um, and you know, I I don't want to sort of break any sort of confidentiality with any partners or anything. But when I was younger, I sort of can relate to what Lewis was saying with um, obviously certain films, TV shows, the lads banter in the locker room, things like that. But the more I've matured, the more I've broke that mold. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I'm I'm very open in the in. Let me say I'm not going to break confidentiality, but I'm very open in the bedroom with a partner and I like that to be open and then you know because I don't think one shoe fits all like you know obviously there's different things you can do in the bedroom that for one partner that won't work for the other and I think some people don't respect that 
um, especially sort of the the sort of people I've been dating. They're very taken aback by the fact that I'm willing to have a conversation. It's probably not a conversation and say, look, is the, is this something you like? Is this something you don't like? You know, I'm, if if someone doesn't like something at the moment, you know, there's no holds barred. I, I like the fact that I'm now mature enough to have that conversation that maybe sort of like I say, I lost my virginity when I was 18, but 18, 19, 20 year old Ethan wouldn't have been able to have because I'm sort of quite embarrassed and quite shy. But now I'm able to do that. And I think it's more beneficial for the people you're with because you're not just doing the same repetitive stuff and you get to learn about your partner as well, which I think a lot of people are quick to dismiss. Um, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying everyone, you know, just especially my friendship group, a lot of people probably try, but it doesn't really work because they're not willing to have those awkward conversations. You know, and is it it awkward? Is it awkward or is it honest conversations? I think for me personally, I think it's more awkward because the, the the women I've been with have never really had that before. So you do take them a bit by surprise. Um, and, and that's sort of something that, you know, it, it's new to probably them and it's a conversation. They don't really know how to take it. And sometimes they'll be like, well, I just like what you're doing, you know. And sometimes you're like, well, you know, so it, it's... It's it's tough, I think. I think I don't know what Marvel thinks. I'm just digging myself a grave here. Marvel, what about you? I'm pass the bat on you. <laughs> yeah, like you say, mate. I think I think you know what it is with with us guys. I think um, especially as the younger you are, I think we tend to think that okay, once you use your virginity, I think a lot of guys tend to think okay, like I'm I'm you know I've lost my virginity. You think you're the guy. You've you've done it a few times. You think okay yeah. great like i can now i can now you know whatever i do in the bedroom whatever i've done with this person because you had success with this lady means that okay it's gonna work with every single woman but it's not the case like you know like different people like different things different people have different faces different kinks you know so mm-hmm. i think it's 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 really important to make sure that um that the person you're with i mean the more sexual partners that you have um obviously the more experience that you will gain because you know you learn about different people but for me i personally <clears throat> i gain pleasure and giving pleasure so i always make sure that i you know whoever whoever it is that i'm i'm, I'm dating or whoever it is i'm sexually active with i always make sure that you know it's it's like uh you know it's 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 a give and take type situation whereas a lot of people tend to have it uh, tend to tend to um see it as a sort of like a you know a they, you know, essentially men, they feel as if once they've climaxed, that's it, you know? So, um, so I think it's important to make sure that, you know, you know, as, an inter- as, as, as intimate as it is, you need to make sure that everyone's receiving pleasure, you know? It's one of those things that I think it's important that, you know, everyone's satisfied. Because I think ultimately, um, this is why people start start looking outside for, to, to, to gain to gain that you know to gain that pleasure and to gain that um maybe you know that's why people maybe start cheating because they feel as if maybe they're not satisfied with what they've got that's that, that, yeah. that maybe that maybe come down to the fact that um they, they aren't communicating with their partner you know to see what they're like and so on and so forth so that's just my take on it but um <clears throat> but yeah so i'd be i'd be keen to to know what um to know what lou lou thinks about this topic <laughs> do you know, I don't know, do you know I what? Don't want, 
Lou, I don't want to ask Lewis. I want to know about James and Lewis's sister. That's all I want to know. Oh, no. This is not a topic we're going into. James, James, yeah. James open it up, son. No, don't, don't, don't worry about that. No, I, I agree with Marco. Um, I think, and, and Ethan, like, you, you've got to be honest. Um, you've got to listen to what the other person uh, wants and, and doesn't want. Um, try not to go into too much detail here, Lewis. Please but, do. But, uh, Please do me. No, 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 I won't. I won't. Um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not just about one person. Um, no, yeah. no, no lad wants to be that lad who takes and, and then mm-hmm. doesn't give anything. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, and a lot of people who might have anxiety or uh, insecurities, um, girls mm-hmm. as well. Like insecurities is such a big thing now, especially with everywhere you look. Um, there's you always can see someone who you might think looks better than you. Um, mm-hmm. So you you just gotta be like careful and just like in a safe space where you can mm-hmm. both kind of talk to each other, be honest and open, and yeah, mm-hmm. have them awkward conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Just so you you're not overstepping or you're not doing anything that might um, upset the other person, you know. Yeah. Mm. Do, do, do you know what? Right, and it's it's maybe a, a little bit of immaturity from my part because I I was watching Marco talk right, and Ethan was smiling and I was smiling, and I think and I'm going to call it out on the podcast because we are a group of men who don't talk about this stuff, and I think I have to raise that as a we felt we were laughing because we felt awkward, not because yeah. it was yeah. not because of what you were saying in terms of we don't agree with what you're saying. It's because we don't have these conversations. And uh, Emily, uh, to, to give you full credit here, this is absolutely why we wanted to bring you on to have <laughs> the conversations that men don't have. We are just a normal group of friends. Um, one of them has happens to be married to my sister which brings its own <laughs> level of awkwardness um especially when it's my younger sister but there's um there's the part of the fact that we just don't talk about this stuff so if we're not talking about it and we're happen yeah. to be fairly open here in the hope that other men see that the way to have a really ha- healthy and happy relationship with not only your partner but with y- yourself and your own sexual thoughts is to have mm-hmm. honest conversations. And I think this is a common theme, not just within a sexual conversation, it's actually within men's health, mental health in general. It's be open and honest about ha- your thoughts and feelings to make sure that you are getting the right support that will make you feel happy and safe and secure and positive and all those sorts of things. And that just seems to be a common theme that we are, are coming um, up against with this podcast so marco i'm mm. just going to apologize that we definitely weren't laughing because of what you were saying i felt it was because i probably no. felt really awkward i was like he's saying the things that i don't know if i could say this stuff yeah mm. do you know what the uh, thing is well, I even bro let me just let me just quickly jump in i, yeah, I just you, you i was i found myself a bit tense do you know it's, it's weird like it's I know we yeah. should, it's like this, the whole purpose of this podcast system is for us to all speak and to be comfortable, but I found myself being a bit tense there. And I feel as if, obviously, the more conversations we have like this, the more, you yeah. know, I'll be, I'll be more comfortable talking about it. But, like, I'm, I'm quite an open person anyway. I'm an open book. So, like, yeah. you know, I'm willing to talk about pretty yeah. much anything. Um, obviously, the fact that yeah. it's on camera, it's recorded, it makes, you know, it brings a different element to it. But 
um mm-hmm. but definitely like i found myself being a bit tense talking about certain things i was thinking i was i feel i felt as if i was treading a little bit but like really and truly like this is the truth like I, we've all experienced this you know like mm-hmm. i feel as if we've all gone through we, we, we all, we've all we all pretty much live in the same life like so we all experience yeah. very very similar things when it comes to like you know you know when it when it comes to sex so like you know you know it we've might be just a talk to speak about but i'm sure that we can all yeah, exactly. That's it. Exactly. So, yeah, man. Um, so yeah, yeah, Emily, I you think know, you've you've um, set off a little bit. Speak- Marco, I think there's a slight delay there, so apologies. Um, Emily, I think you've set off a little bit of a grenade oh. in terms <laughs> of the the type of conversation that we're having here, which is great. Um, we are going to bring it slightly back to your work and what you do day to day, because I think I think that would be really interesting for the listeners to understand. What is it your your job entails, and um, we'll, we'll start off with that, and then I'm sure there'll be lots of, of questions on the back of it. Yeah, sure. And actually, yeah, it's really interesting hearing you all kind of talking because actually, say like the place either that you're at or that you think is the healthy place to be is that you're having these mutual relationships characterized by like openness and communication, and and not just the skills to be able to participate in those types of relationships, but also like the emotional strength to like deal with the awkwardness or, or whatever yeah. might be entailed in, in kind of navigating that. And, and ideally that's kind of where you want people to get, but like, maybe we'll talk about this later, but what I've learned from like my research is that that's not actually how we're kind of guiding, particularly young men when it comes to um, their relationships with like the opposite sex, particularly because a lot of education is more about that, like heterosexuality. Um, but yeah, in terms of like my actual job, um, in terms of what it means to be like a lecturer. Um, so yeah, I work for Surrey university and like, obviously I do teaching and all of that to, to students. Um, but then I also have my own like program of work, um, Mm -hmm. which is focused on this issue. So, um, in a way, like the year as it were sort of looks different at different times like sometimes there's more teaching sometimes I might be going into like a school every day and like doing work with kids and then maybe sometimes I'll just be like writing everything I found you know kind of depends like where you're at at any one point um with all Mm -hmm. your work but it's kind of like multiple jobs in one um because you could just teach you could just do research or whatever but um yeah you're kind of like juggling it all and trying to trying to bring it all together because a lot of my teaching does like draw on the things I've learned from the research that I've done so so um mm-hmm. yeah it, you, you know I won't know what I'm doing in a year um okay. I only really have a rough idea what I'm doing in a month you know like something might pop up and a school or something might say oh like come and speak to these kids and I'm like okay cool I'll go and do that you know so so it's quite flexible actually which I kind of like you know it means you can yeah. pick up and do your own sort of directions um but then you've got to learn really well about like time management particularly when you're passionate about what you do because you're just saying yes to everything because you're like that sounds super amazing and it is always really interesting um but then you don't have any time and stuff so I'm learning more and more how to like it's not saying no to things I don't want to do it's saying no Mm -hmm. to things I do want to do but I just don't have time and that's actually harder I think than saying no to stuff that you're not actually interested in and maybe you'll let someone down, but you just have to be honest, you know? It's harder to turn yeah. something away that you're, like, really excited for. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. And we have... I'm probably annoying the life out of the lads on the podcast because I'm just saying yes to everyone that I think is a good guest. And I'm saying we will record as soon as possible. And we, as I've, I've said to you, we have, like, 70 guests, which means mm-hmm. everyone is very busy now for a very long time. 
And it's because I'm so passionate about it. And the guys are really passionate about it, obviously, as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the podcast too. Um, but I definitely feel what you're saying there. But one thing that's really interesting about what you're saying, actually, is the way that you're working means that you are always super relevant in your your teachings because your research is a concurrent thing alongside teaching, um, which is a really interesting thing. I, I don't know many people. So I used to work um, for a subsidiary of a university. And so education was quite a big part of my earlier career. And I don't remember many of the lecturers doing that type of stuff, actually. So what you were saying that some of them, like you can just do teaching as a full-time job, which mm. I think is really cool the way you're you're doing it, to be, to be honest, because it means you're almost setting out what is today. You're, you're, ne- you're not looking at research from five years ago, 10 years ago. So with all the, the latest trends within society, probably brings new, I, I don't know if opportunities is the word, or, or new results is, is probably a better word, um, mm. to make sure that the teachings you're given are as relevant as possible to what is going on today. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly like in a field like this where where things do change all the time and there's always like new developments and stuff um, and things will just come out and you're like, oh, God, OK, this has changed things a bit. I mean, obviously, you know, we were living in a lockdown for like two years, weren't we? So that had a massive mm-hmm. impact on how young people, well, how all of us, but, you know, particularly that sort of adolescent, young adulthood time of life. Right. Um, where you're meant to be going out and meeting people and having relationships and stuff. Um you know that completely upended the entire process for these these kids yeah so you you, you're always having to take stock of like okay what's the current situation you know um which is good yeah yeah emily uh, am i all right to jump in here now we're talking about lockdown Mm -hmm. Uh, i read your back Mm -hmm. biography on the surrey website and um you had a bit of research on the impact of lockdown on digital intimacies among young people yeah Uh, Mm i was wondering if you could go into that a little bit yeah yeah so that was quite a big project actually we were we spoke with like 80 teenagers and about like 40 young adults and we were just asking them about okay like what was lockdown like for you in terms of your relationships like how did you keep interacting like did you sustain your relationships Mm -hmm. with people like what you know how did you kind of manage this period of time and stuff and yeah it's this idea of like digital intimacy it's like it's a pre-lockdown idea right it's this idea that we're interacting with our partners on an intimate level potentially online yeah and we've seen those mm-hmm. behaviors um emerge and, and stuff and people have like various opinions on that on that but but i suppose in lockdown if you're not living with your partner then you haven't you didn't really have much opportunity to do anything else right and kind of exploring how different young people related to that and how they dealt with that and like i suppose this idea of like those technologies being a kind of lifeline within that period of time but also a very unfulfilling and frustrating lifeline and the the real kind of um essential nature actually of in-person interaction with people and engagement with people in a shared physical environment i know we're all obviously doing this virtually um and this Mm -hmm. is like the world we live in and it's great because you can connect in everything but when you completely shift to digital with all of your interactions particularly your most intimate relationship most of the people we we spoke to found that a very disturbing experience and particularly at that stage of life where where they thought they were going to be learning you know all the things that you guys have been talking about learning who you are and dealing with like how that relates to stuff going on in the peer group and in other environments for these 
young people, like everything was digitally mediated. So their entire understanding mm -hmm. of say what friends were doing or what, you know, the aspirational ideal was, was all happening on social media. There was no like, oh, and then you're at school and then you kind of figure out like how people are in offline environments. Like everything was happening online. And so then you're getting yeah. these kids come back and see each other for the first time and they're like, oh God, what's going on? And where where do I hang out? And like, how do I even talk to anybody? Because the only people I've been speaking to are the people I kind of already know who I was going to keep in touch with anyway. Like they weren't making yeah. new friends or like finding new, almost serendipitous opportunities. They like, they're saying, you know, when you're at school normally, you just like chat and you just hang out and it's all a bit wherever. But in lockdown, mm -hmm. you're just in your room and you talk to the people that you make a plan to talk to. And so... Yeah, well, I mean, we probably wouldn't have had lockdown if we didn't have the technology, right? Like it enabled something. But, yeah. I, you know, mo most of those I spoke to, other than, interestingly, um, there were some kids who were like, they hated school and they were shy and maybe they were being picked on and it was a real negative context for them to be at school. And some of them were like, if, if I'm being honest with you, I'd rather be back in my bedroom playing my mm -hmm. video game and not having to deal with any of this because I hate it and it's miserable. But then you think, oh God, is that what we want? Is do we just want teenagers like in mm. their room on their own because they hate being around people because they're being treated badly? Like it, it was a very yeah, it was a very eye-opening project actually. And like you're thinking, okay, what about the kids who were quite vulnerable? We spoke to kids who had really bad yeah. family relationships and like home was not necessarily a safe space. And they were leaving home and they were going off and doing all this stuff and it was very chaotic for them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, lots of different experiences, but like a continual theme of of really what is humanity on in a in a bedroom virtually? Like, what does that actually tell us about relationships and what we need from each other? Um, some quite like meta philosophical questions really were dawning on me, yeah. you know, as I was kind of doing this project. I think by nature, we're all super sociable people like hu hu human humans. Naturally, we have evolved and that we've survived by being in a group that they're being an individual by yourself stuck by yourself through evolutionary times you you probably didn't survive with the pack was always stronger it was always that when you look through history that has always been the case so i think what i especially seen so i i managed to team through lockdown and Obviously, you have your different personality traits of introverts, extroverts, super social people, people who probably do like to be, be by themselves, people who are a little bit techie, people who were tech advert. So certain personalities definitely thrived in lockdown. And then there was the others who... So for me, I'm a fairly sociable person. I really like to be around people. Um, that Since lockdown, I've probably struggled a little bit more with like social anxiety of now I, I struggle being in a crowd a little bit. And this is, I, I was a fully grown adult. I was 26, 27, whatever it was when, when lockdown came. So I can only imagine what it's, it must have done to young people and the impact that's had on their own personal development, especially around things like, like sex when you're, and your hormones are, are, are all over the place and you're trying to figure out who you really are. You almost have to have that, experimental phase even and, and it doesn't mean actual physical sex or phys physical acts it's even for me as a, a straight guy speaking to girls trying to chat them up mm. like that part was really beneficial for me growing up when I was 
12, 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever, um, that I think if kids have missed out on that, have they then missed out on a life skill that they needed to be successful for the rest of their life in courting the, the people that they want to have a, have a relationship with? Um, mm. So a question I do have for a couple of the boys, though, Marco and Ethan, I believe you were both single in lockdown. I, I'm, I may be right. Um, did how, how did that impact you guys as single guys or did you both have were you in a relationship for the three years or two years of lockdown no i was i was um <clears throat> i was i was actually dating someone during lockdown uh it actually was funny because um it was funny because yeah i was we actually just literally as we went into lockdown is essentially when it pretty much started because um particularly yeah. girl i was i was seeing at the time was she moved uh closer to me so um, yeah. it just kind of made sense at the time. Um, we got on quite well, and um, and yeah. So no, I wasn't. Well, I was. I wasn't in a relationship, but I was also not single. I was exclusively dating someone. So yeah, that was okay. that was uh, that was my my status at the time. But yeah, Ethan, what were you? Were you single or? Yeah. So um, I met. I was single for the start of lockdown then i met this like yeah. amazing girl and she was like the best honestly just an amazing person she was a midwife and she was just the the nicest person ever me and we dated for about eight months during lockdown obviously i know it was longer than eight months so the second half of obviously lockdown it, i was single and it was very mm -hmm. tough because you couldn't have those connections and i did fall in online dating um, uh -huh. which I know obviously is, is a big thing now. It wasn't as much when we, we were growing up, Lewis. I know James is a spring yeah. chicken. But, um, you know, when we were growing up, there wasn't these old Tinders and grinders and, and whatever. It's, you know, it was very much you had to meet per people in face-to-face. -face, you know, you would have conversations with them. Um, so for me, I struggled a lot during lockdown the second part. I actually met that girl on a dating site as well. But I think for me... Uh -huh. The reason we broke up is because I wasn't handling lockdown very well. So I'm going to be quite mm -hmm. open and honest that I wasn't handling the, the old, you know, my grandparents are elderly, they weren't very well. You know, one of them passed away not long ago. So he held up a lot longer than we thought. But during lockdown, you know, not being able to see the ones you love, um, you know, you, you come find your house. We were still working, which was a frustrating mm -hmm. thing. Now, I'll never slander the company I work for. I love my job. and But a lot of the more it felt like most of the world were furloughed and enjoyed their summer down the beach and we were stuck in an office breaking mm -hmm. social distancing quite a bit because it was physically impossible to do it in an office with x amount of people no matter how many people you take out of the building but you know i definitely would say the pandemic took a massive toll on that relationship with the midwife who was like i say i probably should have married her looking back on it i think she was the, the one that got away um mm -hmm. but that broke down because of the pandemic and then obviously the rest of the pandemic i struggled to to sort of cope with so it, it was a big negative toll and i can only sort of sympathize with the younger generation um mm -hmm. especially sort of my younger cousins you know he graduated through high school and had to try and find a way of earn the living coming out of high school during the pandemic and as much mm -hmm. as you were saying there lewis about um for having difficulties finding your ways especially sort of talking the opposite sex you know whether it's yeah. full sex intercourse or kissing a girl or you know even talking face to face not only in the sexual relations but also i think in a in a, just a relationship as general 
being able to talk to um, like your friends or um, members of the opposite sex who you would then have to work with in a professional basis. You know, you're not having that professional rapport, you know, or any mm-hmm. rapport at all for two, three years, which is, you know, it has a massive repercussion, especially on the younger generation now. And I see a lot of people in my family who are younger struggle to have those conversations with sort of a boss, whether male or female, because they had three years of their lives or two and a bit years of their lives where they, they didn't leave the bedroom. So, mm. And it's interesting what you say about like mental health during the time period, because there were stories like that, that, you know, that you share about like one or sometimes both sides of the relationship struggling and like how then relationships are affected by each other's mental health. Right. And the toll that can take on a relationship, even though sometimes actually the relationship can be experienced as like this lifeline, this source of support. But but that then has ramifications as well right and it can be a really difficult thing and I think the lockdown sort of heightened that like put a lot of people in that situation where they had to find a way to deal with that in their relationship and um yeah we had a lot of stories of people not coping with that very well at all yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I think for me personally it was one where life became a lot more simple though I think lockdown had lots of negative parts to it but I've come out of lockdown also realizing what is important in my life because a lot of the complexities that were in it around and a lot of it would be that expectation that you have to go out and do stuff so for me pre-lockdown and post-lockdown my going out and drinking with my friends for example has declined so much because it used to be at that thing and it's probably an age thing as much as anything but you'd go out pre-lockdown couple of times a month at least that that was just a thing then post lockdown I think last year I, I went out like four or five times and I haven't suddenly become this super boring person it's just it's not the priority anymore my life has Ethan if you're nodding because I'm now a super boring person <laughs> maybe you've been always super boring no offense right, right. Um, if it's not if it's now because I've been able, lockdown gave me that chance to realize what's important and then what isn't. And with, and that only becomes with age. And if we're talking about younger people, they haven't maybe had the chance to realize what is important and they've missed out on things that could have helped them be the person that they potentially could have been. So I I definitely Mm. feel really sorry for the younger generation who've missed out on things. Cause I, even me at 30, I feel like we missed out on stuff. We missed out on a lot of things that we could have done, whether it was holidays, life experiences. Um, Yeah. It wasn't a great time for anyone. I don't think. How was lockdown for you, Mm. Emily? How did that impact your life? Yeah. I mean, um, kind of, you know, I would categorize myself as someone that was in like a relatively good, you know, I didn't, you know, lockdown per se, I don't think was a healthy, positive environment for anybody, but like relatively speaking, um, you know, I I was okay. I was living with my husband and my dog and, you know, it was kind of cool. And, you know, my, my, um, my partner, he, um, at the time, like his job was really demanding. He was always doing long hours. And then the shift to working from home, actually we Mm -hmm. got to spend like so much time together, you know, we're going on walks, we're doing all this stuff. And so actually, yeah, you, you do get this kind of outcome from it that, that is not all bad as it were. And I think, um, you know, I was lucky to kind of be in that position. Um, and, um, and it was only, and it's, it's kind of through, I suppose, engaging, like beyond that bubble of yourself, you know, I think because people did go kind of insular, didn't they? And like, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that's good, you know, we need to self-reflect and we need to think about like ourselves and like, 
our position in terms of what we really want out of life and all of that stuff is important to go through but but I do actually think as well like it is unnatural to do that through complete disconnects from people other than if you kind of choose to interact with them particularly around say like younger people because I think exactly as you sort of say like yeah you you know as you get older you sort of figure out don't you like how do I really want to spend my time who do I really want to spend my time with you know 10 years ago the nights out I do with people and just oh god and you just look back and you think okay it was all cool at the time but that is not what I want right now but you almost have to go through that experience first don't you? you have to be out you know you have to like you know be touching in with all these different options and all these different people and places and stuff to be able to get to that journey like it's kind of disturbing to me when 15 16 year olds at the time that we were coming out of lockdown so they're they're like 13 14 when they're going into it are saying do you know what like I know who I can be bothered with and I know this and I know that and I'm like oh man you should still be like really yeah, making open the mistakes and fluid yeah it's it's sad that you've been kind of locked away by yourself and like being disconnected from all that and now you've got to come out and like you know you're like oh okay I'm just totally my own person separate from all of this I I don't know I'm not to say I mean what do I know about what's normal or desirable right like people might take what I'm person. saying but exactly but there's just something about it that's that's different yeah okay maybe it's not bad different I don't know but there's definitely mm-hmm. something that is different about the the experience that this generation or whatever we want to call them has gone through around its social romantic intimate kind of relationships right um yeah yeah which i think we do need to kind of reflect on and give and actually what i really liked about the research that we did was like just give people an opportunity to talk about it like it's not that there has to be this huge solution and this big hullabaloo made about their experiences and stories but but just actually enabling people to reflect and, and give meaning to some of what went on during that time you know yeah yeah no i think you're, you're absolutely right um Emily, to move this on probably a little bit from the, the childhood uh, part. So we had some discussions as a group ahead of the podcast around um, things like sexual consent. And that was something that... So James, who is... We've decided James is like the geek of the group because he's the, the youngest. He's, he, he's the oh. most recent from school that he still... like does all his research and stuff and we obviously we do a little bit but James James is Statman we've decided um so James before the podcast you were talking about a few different um stats that you had seen and I have to be honest I found them really shocking because as a a man who hasn't been affected by any of the statistics that you you read out I didn't realize that there was maybe such a problem and an issue in society as the statistics clearly state now i'm not sure on the publications that you found them but i think it would be good to um i think it would be good to understand what they are and what some of the facts say yeah so i've got i've got five facts here Uh, Mm -hmm. i got them from the rape crisis website Mm -hmm. um so just feel free to stop me at any time, but I'll just read them out. Um, one in four women are raped or sexually assaulted as an adult. One in six children have been sexually assaulted. One in 18 men have been raped or sexually assaulted as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think it's a lot more than I expected, but still, mm-hmm. still a lot less 
than women and children. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. Um, between yeah. September 2021, do you want me to stop mm-hmm. there? No, no, go on. Between September 2021 and September 2022, um, so a 12 month period, there was 70,633 rapes um, reported. Um, or, yeah, and in that time, same time period, 2,616 charges, um, like police charging people. Which I don't know the maths on that, um, but that is <laughs> quite, yeah, the, the quite for, a lot less. Yeah, the thing for me on all of those statistics. So, firstly, they are harrowing, they are terrifying. Um, it is not at all. You just don't see it. And, and I remember there was um, that you, you see lots of these cases put on the news, and the, and it might come up on the news maybe once a month, maybe once every few months, whatever. But to the rate that sexual assault is uh, is happening, and, and especially where there's no consent, it really is terrifying, and it's beyond the levels upon which me as an everyday person understand it to be. And, Emily, I, I suppose my, my question around that would be, in, in terms of why do, you, why do you think this is potentially happening? Is it an education piece where people don't understand how to interact with the others to a degree or is it a deeper lying issue maybe around that there's so many people out there struggling with really is it strong issues in their life that they then aren't able to cope with so they do actions that maybe are well not maybe are definitely wrong that should never happen because I, when when hearing them ahead of this episode, I, I couldn't really comprehend how it, it's so bad. Yet we don't really talk about it at society level. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no. And some of the kind of figures that organisations like Rape Crisis put out are are really dismal, and and particularly say around, like you say, charging and prosecution and and, and the mm-hmm. attrition, as, as they call it, through the system. You know, so um, what was that? Um, recent report um you know louise casey did a review of the metropolitan police and one of the lines yeah so you know um and and that actually does pertain exactly to the kind of question that you just asked but one thing that was interesting um that came out of that was like this line it said rape might as well be decriminalized in the capital because the likelihood Mm -hmm. of it actually going through the justice process is so low um that that like it's it's just been decriminalized basically so that's kind of shocking for police officers to be saying that kind of thing but like it's it, like your question around like okay what's going on here i mean if it was a lack of understanding of the law mm-hmm. then you know when you're when you actually look at like where some of this stuff becomes really prevalent like if we're saying okay how many police officers in the met are now currently being investigated for like a sexual assault you know that's not an education issue like they're enforcing yeah. the law they they know exactly what the law says around consent they they kind of know like i I think there is um, something deeper going on here. And like rape and sexual assault could mean a lot of things. And like people probably mm-hmm. have something in their mind when they hear those terms, right? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. you get like the monstrous guy that like grabs someone, pulls them off the street and does something horrendous. Yeah, like you're talking there's some kind of very serious psychopathology, aren't you, as, as underlying that. Yeah. But but actually, you know, most of these offences and, and, and like it are happening among... Um, individuals that know each other 
um, in places where there is like vulnerability and people taking advantage of certain situations. You know, the I, the term sort of grey area is is quite like problematic in some senses, but but it is like it's not this always like violent, clearly brutal, clearly very highly physically forced sex act that is taking place. You know, it it can it it can involve those those dynamics whereby I don't know the perpetrator is very aware that the the other person is feeling uncomfortable and doesn't really want it. But, you know, it's happening anyway. And maybe they're feeling entitled to that or or they're kind of turning away from understanding that or whatever. So, you know, it it, it might it might be an issue of realizing that actually doing that was illegal. Yeah. But then I think actually it's something deeper that goes back to what a lot of you guys were talking about at the beginning. OK, like, why do we even have sex to begin with? And what are we looking for from that sexual exchange? And, you know, what what you're talking about, that mutual pleasure and being able to, like, put yourself out there and hear from someone else what they want and really kind of almost as well go on that journey with each other. Right. Because, again, it's one of those things. It's not a destination. You know, you're you're you'll be doing that with each other. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the ideal, isn't it? But that's almost not how this stuff is being set up. There is still this particularly, say, women internalize this idea. They still a commonly held idea that. You know, if if you're with a guy and you go back with him and then like you may have given the wrong idea. Oh, well, I guess you kind of got to go along with something you don't really want. And you might say, oh, no. And then he'll put a bit of pressure on you and then you do it. And that is a very normalized thing. And like the guy right. will know he's putting pressure on you and you'll know that you aren't really agreeing to this. And it will just happen anyway. And so we do have to look at like what are the ways that people are relating to each other? And like presently in schools, we go in with this really heavy handed message about like what is illegal and what isn't. And actually, in my view, that is feeding into some really fraught dynamics, particularly, say, like male to female, where it's characterizing that entire interaction as risky. Like the woman could be violated. The man could be accused of assaulting her. Like that's how we're conceptualizing this stuff. And then when I sit down with young people and they say, like, what can I do? Like, would I be allowed to do this? Would I be allowed to do that? And like, what would happen if this happened to me? Would I be able to report it? And I'm just wondering, like, where is the conversations happening about all the things that you've just spoken about? About like, what is your personal pleasure? What does it really mean to care about someone in that situation? Right. Um, I don't think the law can arbitrate necessarily over what it means for sex to be mutually positively experienced by people as a safe happy but also fun and exciting and like you know all the things we want it to be right um the law is there like at that point where like something happens that needs a legal response but then there's like all this other stuff going on as well underneath that Mm -hmm. or that complicate the issue right like yeah there are situations probably that require a criminal justice response. But the waters are so muddied with all these ideas about like, oh, well, you know, I did kind of get drunk and like invite him back. And then the guy will be like, oh, well, she'll regret it the next day. But like, that's not really my problem because, you know, she didn't say anything at the time. There's a lot of like defensiveness um, that Mm -hmm. means we're not really sort of understanding why why people feel this way that something non-consensual has happened, right? Yeah. It's it's such a, it's such a, is it a, a tough topic to actually really talk about, especially as a, a man who generally men are the accused 
where mm. you it's really hard to say because we know what right and wrong is and you probably just alluded to the story there um where men can go back with a girl especially if there's alcohol involved because if the next morning she really regrets it potentially and says actually i don't know if i agree to that but if they're both at the same level of drunkness and it happens and then regret comes into it and i'm definitely not going to sit here and defend anyone who has done something bad definitely not ever it's horrendous the worst thing ever um but i i've seen in more recent years there's been more cases where maybe that has been the incident and consent may not have been do you want to have sex yes that they both agree to have sex they just have sex in a drunken state um mm -hmm. that then the next day it then becomes something bigger than it possibly was at mm. that time because they were two non-consenting adults because they were so intoxicated that actually though the man is the one who gets done for it but you're quite right in terms of the man can put the pressure on the man can lead it on and the girl puts herself in that situation potentially and, and knows by being in that situation something could happen but actually mm. doesn't want it to happen it, it, it is a really really scary situation and I, I, I'm honestly so lucky that I've never found myself in that scenario where it literally could happen to anyone if you go on a night out, it can, and you're single, it can quite easily happen to to any of us because those things do occur. Yeah, and you know, and there are there's like there, I guess legally the reason why mm -hmm. men, um, you know, internalize this idea that they're potentially like the person perpetrating something is because the law does say it's penetration with the penis, right? So yeah. it has to be like a man, right? It can't like there, there are offenses where like women do things to men, but it's not like rape or whatever. Like it, it, that that penetration is perpetrated by a man to either another man or a woman, right? And mm -hmm. it's interesting about this issue with alcohol because in theory, the the potential victim is like their alcohol consumption is a matter of their capacity. So like. The person should be thinking, right, they're drunk. So even any consent that might be being given might not be valid because they might not have capacity to give that consent. And do you know what's really interesting? Yeah. If the person defined as the perpetrator was drunk, that doesn't legally equalize the situation. That actually makes it an aggravated offense. Like the wow. guy in that situation would be seen as reckless for being drunk. And so the way the law actually works on paper. Mm is not how people actually have relationships and interactions and experiences with each other. And this is what I mean. Like we kind of go into schools and we teach all this stuff about what the law says about consent. Whereas that is just such not going to actually enable people to make sense of, of how they deal with this stuff in their day-to-day -day relationships with each other. Like, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, right? Like, you know, you, you have a few drinks so that you feel like in the mood and comfortable and that you want to do this stuff, right? Like, I'm not going to wake yeah. up the next day and say to my partner, oh, my God, you know, you're a rapist because I didn't have capacity. But that's because of what that's how we experience our relationship with each other, you know. Yeah. And so, so much is context specific. But I think it's so complicated to deal with any of that. So instead, we just like overlay it with like this message about what's right and wrong. And and I don't think that really touches it. I mean, jumping in, Lou and, and Emily, you know, I've, I've 
got a bit of a story here. Um, something that you, you provoked sort of a thought that happened a while ago. Um, this is, I was 19, 20 at the time, and I worked in Newcastle in the town, um, uh, and I was a, a barman. Um, and I'd met this girl, and we were dating, and we were dating. It wasn't like a fling. It wasn't, you know, she was pretty much my girlfriend at the time. And she was out in Newcastle, and the thing was, we'd have drinks after work, um, the, the people on the bar, and then we'd go home. So she was in Newcastle and she said, I know you're going to have a few drinks. I'm just having a couple and we'll get a taxi back to yours. And I was living with my grandma's at the time. So again, I'm hoping my mom doesn't listen um, to this and tell me grandma. <laughs> but I was living with my grandma's at the time and um, we end up meeting up um, after the night. Out. She she wasn't drunk by any means, but she had a couple. And I was, I'd had a couple. We went back and we, we had sexual intercourse. Um, but I'm very careful as to to always make sure I'd ask, are you are you okay with this? Like, and sometimes I actually have scared partners off by asking, and they're like, I don't really vibe this anymore because you're being a bit of a nerd by asking, <laughs> am I okay? Like, I would say, are you all right mm-hmm. with this? Do you know, like again, because you've got to put yourself carefully. You know, my grand always said, treat a woman like a lady, even if she's not. So I would always be like that. Um, but anyways, I took this this girl home. We had sex on the course. The next morning, she was on the, the end of my bed. She was very upset, like distraught. And she proceeded to tell me that she'd, she'd actually been raped before coming back and sleeping with me on the same night God. by, by oh someone God. in Newcastle. By someone in Newcastle. And, you know, that was just a real horror story. And we had to go to the police and... You know, it was something I was investigating myself, but obviously I was, we were dating, she confirmed all that. But it was such a scary issue that she wasn't even that drunk. Like she wasn't, you can't really say she wasn't drunk, she was drunk, but she was cosmental. She was, she knew what she was doing, things like that. And I remember going, like there was court issues and things like that. It was such a traumatic experience for her. And I'll never forget that because it's so hurtful. And just the fact Mm. that like you were saying there, with it being on the mind, yes, it, it you've got to make sure you are taking responsibility if you're going to be, if the man's going to be sort of having that pendry of sex, pendry of sex, um, then they, they've got to take that responsibility and know when no means no, or if the girl's not comfortable. And I think it's something that, unfortunately, when I was younger, we weren't really taught. I know you mentioned earlier the grey the grey area around it. And there's no just, I'm not trying to justify, I'm just trying to say, like, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to have a mom who is really sort of pushing on, if she says no, it's no, always make sure she's cosmetic, she's, she's agreed to it, you know, like you say, it's, it's a experience you want to share together, you know, and pleasure is not just for one person, it should be for both. And and I was lucky enough to have a mom like that and the grandparents and, you know, aunt, my auntie and uncle um, who have always kept us on the straight now, but not everyone my age probably is like that. So I think the yeah. work that you're doing, the, the work that you're doing, the conversations that you're having is, it's no doubt going to be so beneficial because I don't think it's done enough in school. Um, you know, mm. we were taught the old put a condom on a banana um, and go check for chlamydia. They're still taught that. <laughs> is that. Is that yeah. what they still do now? Yeah. I mean, Honestly, they still do insane. like that, yeah. But then they, like, do more. So they do all the, like, condom on the banana thing, like these are the STIs or whatever. But um, but then they teach about, like, consent and healthy relationships and all that. But, but kind of my issue with it is, like, so, like, what your mum's sort of conveying to you, like, this is how you should be with someone if they say no like they're right to change their mind all of these things are really important messages but but to me it's it's because you should be making the point that like 
it's about mutually pleasurable and equal relationships. It shouldn't be this like, you're going to get arrested if you don't do this. Because like the boys I sit and talk to, like then all they're worried about is getting arrested. And I'm like, hang on, forget all that. Bring it back to like, what kind of interaction do you want with a girl? Um, what is it that you're looking for out of your sexual experiences with girls? And like going back to kind of what we were saying before, a lot of it is like, oh, well, I kind of want to lose my virginity and I want to impress my mates and I'm feeling all these pressures. And actually some of these boys will say like, really easy to end up in a sexual situation where actually neither of you really want to do it but you both feel mm -hmm. really pressure from like outside and then you end up doing some stuff yeah. together that actually neither of you are both really feeling but that's where it comes back to like what you guys were saying about how vital it then is to learn how to communicate and i think the way sometimes we set it up as it's this legal issue and like somebody could get accused and blah blah but we're not creating the space to like okay but what about if your relationship wasn't the source of potentially getting arrested it was a a, a way in which you can actually explore like what you want and how you feel and what feels good and all the rest of it right um and then yeah. you can start experimenting and like pushing the boundaries and doing things that you're both into and maybe you'll turn around and be like oh i didn't really enjoy that but it's okay because it's not a violation you, you feel safe and comfortable in that relationship like to me that's the goal not don't get arrested yeah of course we don't want people you know breaking the law but but i just don't think we should like put that lens on our relationships it should be about a different attitude to why we're even together like rather than so transactional you know yeah no, that is such a better way of putting it. We focus on the positive versus if you live your life in fear, the chances are it's almost like we had um, Simon on a, a few um, a few episodes ago and he was saying about the pink elephant. If I say don't think about a pink elephant, you think about a pink elephant. And I'm not saying if you say to people don't commit sexual assault, they're more likely to commit sexual assault. I'm not saying that. But it's you're more likely to find it if you're promoting it versus mm. if we try and promote the idea of actually have meaningful relationships with people about a shared experience, you're probably more likely to encourage that, I feel mm. anyway. Um I Definitely. do have a couple of questions a couple couple of questions from Marco. So Marco's dropped mm. off, but he's apologized because his camera's dropped for anyone who will later watch this. He has two questions for you. So the first one is um what does sexual consent look like to you? So in your expert opinion, what is sexual consent? Well, yeah. And I mean, yeah, if we're sort of moving away from that, like legal, or oh, it means capacity and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, I, like I, I respect all of that. And that law doesn't need to be there. I think actually what you were saying, um, even about <laughs> the, the like, you're ruining the vibe when you're like, are you okay? Like, do you like this? Do you want me to like, actually, like, I totally support guys that want to kind of make that effort. But, but often that's not actually like, how Needed. you go about wanting to interact right and like it can almost blow it for us can't it you know you, you you lay it on a bit too much or whatever um i think like like it is sort of almost like non-verbal and like a deep feeling of like comfort with each other right where where you know that the other person genuinely mm -hmm endorses your satisfaction and safety and well-being in that moment in time and likewise you do to them so if there's ever an indication that you're not comfortable they will automatically be responsive to that and engage with that you're not feeling like oh god we're like we're, we're poles apart from each other now and we're going to misunderstand each other and and all of that it's it's actually like a coming together of you in that regard so that you are on the same page in terms of your interest and commitment to each other's 
well-being and uh, you know and i'm not saying that's something that you have to get because i don't know through marriage or some long-term relationship you can have that in i don't know a one night stand if you are approaching it that okay we're here because we both want to be here and we both mm-hmm. feel this but like you know we're only going to be happy if the other person's happy i think it's mm-hmm. starting off on that terrain and then you will become responsive to what's going on, right? And if somebody does start to clam up and change their mind or if something doesn't feel good anymore or if somebody does, like, you thought they weren't drunk and now suddenly you're looking and you're thinking, hang on a minute, like, they were definitely drunker than I thought. You can be responsive to all of that in the moment. But I think you've got to care. You've got to care about the person you want to be and also about the other person's interest as well. Yeah. No, I think yeah, you're absolutely right with that. It's more about the connection than... But 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 then is that hard to the letter of the law? That that would be my, my only comeback to that. If the, if you don't get that verbal consent, mm-hmm. and it's a physical consent, and you because that's very subjective, isn't it? Oh well, it felt like they were in the mood. It felt like we were mm. doing it, and and then the other person, man or woman, says, actually, well, no, I, I wasn't. It, it becomes very subjective. So well, and do you know what? Even with the law. That mm-hmm. subjectivity, that one word against another type of thing, is exactly yeah. what is unpacked on the rare occasion where these offences actually get to trial. It is really yeah. going through with a fine-tooth comb. But why did you think that person was on the same page as you? Like, what were you picking up from them? And it can go yeah. down to as, like, well, just the way their then body moved at this moment gave me the impression that they were kind of reciprocating. It can, it can be that fine detail, right? Because actually mm-hmm. rarely are... Like the law doesn't require sexual interactions to involve a verbal affirmative okay. a validation of consent. Like that's not actually what the law says. The law says mm. that it's like, you know, that the person freely with capacity, um, you know, agreed to participate in this. But but it doesn't actually require like, yes, I do or whatever, particularly because mm. consent can be withdrawn. So okay. you could have said yes verbally at the beginning. But if you then, like I don't know, 10 minutes into it, freeze up. And like just look away or something and react like that. Well, the law says the guy having sex with you should pick up on all of that and stop. So in okay. the end, it all comes down to like what evidence did you have that this person was comfortable with what you were doing, right? Yeah. That, and that, like the really way the law actually works is that you might have a kind of flawed understanding of that, but it's like what would a reasonable person judge in this scenario, you know? So is it almost like a common sense approach? Yeah, in the way it does come down to that, it's like, what would a reasonable person think in this situation about, you know, like how the people were feeling? And actually, the woman might think, well, I genuinely felt violated. I genuinely felt it was non-consensual. But actually, there wasn't enough behaviour. There wasn't enough that I could, that the the accused could have been expected to pick up on that. So actually, what's really fascinating about outcomes of these legal processes is that, like, Guilt or not guilty doesn't actually tell you whether a violation was felt. It doesn't mean, oh, it was a false accusation. What it means is just there wasn't the evidence there. And we do have due process in this country. You know, accused people do have, it has to be shown really to the end point of surety that that it's very reasonable to hold them responsible for this. A lot of judges, you know, guys get let off this stuff. And these men did not act admirably. You know, there's a lot of dodgy yeah. behaviour that went on, but it didn't reach yeah. that threshold, you know? Do you know what? That, that makes it so dangerous for both sides because mm. a man could go in there with the full intentions and 
especially with alcohol. Alcohol's and it, it's probably my lack of awareness of this full subject. But alcohol, if you're both intoxicated, one person's perception of how they acted versus an, how you act. It's mm. it's hard enough just waking up knowing what you drank on your last drink. Never mind what happened from your last drink and, and falling asleep sometimes. So mm. I, I can imagine it's really hard for people to because you can't. How do you disprove something? You can't say, mm. well, you, like you, if there's evidence, you can't disprove evidence that isn't there. So if if it's one word versus another, and the man says, well, or the woman, depend. I know that it's more likelihood that the man would have committed the offence. But if the man says, well, no, I, I was fully under the impression that it was fully consensual, and then the other person, man or woman, says, well, actually, no, I didn't want that to happen. Then with once you add that layer of alcohol to it, how can anyone truly be be sure on what their response well, is and if it's right? Well, and this is the issue, right? I mean, yeah, I, you know, I agree with you that yeah, the stats on how this stuff progresses through the justice system looks all pretty dismal on first reading, and I agree there is a problem. Yeah. But actually, the problem might be fundamentally rooted in the nature of what what the crime actually is, right? Because we are yeah. talking about two people in a room. If we're going to uphold due process and that it has to be shown to absolute certainty that the person did what they did, which is a really vital part of our democratic system, right? We can't just be throwing people in jail for like any old thing, you know, that it has to be shown to that level. And that's really important. And, and it makes you wonder then whether sexual violation and experiences of, of consent that has been jeopardized or whatever whether the the law and the justice system will ever actually be able to answer this for people you know i'm not saying yeah. give up on that whole thing as a process but but as in unless you do diminish the standards and what i think needs to change is is some of the way in which um the process is managed you know so like mm -hmm. if you go and you sit and you watch a trial the way in which they will try to discredit the complainant you know the person saying that this crime has been committed I mean, it really lacks kind of dignity and it can go really base to, to the to, to the person. And I mean, I, I'm being honest with you, my my understanding of the process, if I was sexually assaulted or raped and may, mm -hmm. I don't know how I feel if it happened. So I'm just speculating. But based on what I know and how I feel at the moment, unless it was a you were dragged off off the street and it was totally cut and dry, I don't think I would want to report it. I wouldn't want to go through that process, Whoa. like having to, you know, having to be questioned and by the and, and waiting for years for your case to come to court and then be ripped to shreds at trial where every single part of your character, everything is drawn upon to discredit you. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to put myself through it. It's brutal. And I do think reforms need to take place on exactly how that's managed. But the issue of one word against another and that mm -hmm. you got to prove beyond doubt. I mean, that's always going to disadvantage somebody making an accusation of a crime. It's it's kind of inevitable, particularly a crime where, yeah, you know, people are drunk. There's not a whole bunch of injuries. It's not there aren't there isn't that external evidence to, to validate yeah. what's happened necessarily. Do you know what what you've just said there absolutely terrifies me. So how you can say that even if that happened to you, you don't know if you would. Or you're you don't think you would go and report that because then we, we were talking about this before um, me, me and James. So obviously James is married to my sister, and she was saying there's times where she feels like she wants James to come with her 
if it's on a nighttime, for example, or if she's going somewhere by herself. And as a man, we don't have those fears. So mm. we we can walk. I, I can see it's dark outside right now. I would happily go and walk the street to the shop. Not a problem. Walk back. I feel no fear for my life at all. But women do feel that. But and I, and I understand that to a degree. As a man, I can only understand it so far. Um, I have a partner. I have a sister. I have a mum. Have female friends. All that sort of stuff. So I understand it to to a degree. But but then what I didn't understand is probably what you've just said. Is that fear of the so going through it is terrifying, but then it's the fear of what you have to go through to get justice, and that just mm. doesn't seem that just doesn't seem right at all. How people are fearful of getting the justice they need against a crime that has been um, against a crime that has been committed. How is that right in our society? We live in the, a Western world where surely if you've if someone's committed a crime against you, you should definitely be able to stand up and say, this has happened, like, this needs to be made right. I just don't understand mm. as a man how that can happen. I'm in a little bit of shock, actually. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got another yes. stat here, if I can just say real mm. quick. Um, mm-hmm. This is my last stat I got from a rape crisis. <laughs> but um, five in six women who have been raped, don't report it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm God. not sort of unusual in my concern about that, you know. And, and yeah, yeah you know, absolutely, I wouldn't endorse this attitude that I hold and, you know, other women hold. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I do think, actually, if we're saying, like, due process rights and the innocent should not be convicted and all of that, that's a really important pillar of, of democracy. But, but so also is confidence in the justice system if you've been yeah. wronged. You should feel able and, and willing. And I... You know, and I and it is I, I it's interesting what you say, and I agree because I don't know if you were burgled or or mugged or something, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people these days go, oh god, there's no point in reporting it because the police won't turn up, and it's a total waste of time. And that there are those issues, mm-hmm. aren't there, around like policing of, of certain offences at the moment because they're also like under resourced. But but like, yeah, I think there's something deeper going on with sexual offences. There's there's like a wider context of of shame and stigma and just not wanting to put yourself through the exposure of going through it. You know, like, I don't know if like there was a burglary and I had to stand up in court and be like, well, yeah, this guy burgled my house. Like I'm not internalizing that into a whole bunch of shame or whatever. Like I'll just stand like the guy says, no, I didn't. I'd be like, well, I know you did and whatever, you know, I think with a sexual offense, there's something much kind of more deeper that's going on. And we do have, Mm -hmm. you know, history of, of women being shamed and blamed for for this stuff, you know, like what were you wearing? You were out. You shouldn't have been out. Yeah, you know, all of that horrible. kind of stuff, right? So you always you always think, oh God, well it's kind of my fault. Um, and then you're going to stand up in court, and they're going to tell you, yeah, it's all your fault. Any claim that you've got here, no, 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 like you're not credible, like you're a liar, or or you were asking for it, or whatever, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And why, yeah, it would be kind of madness, really, to want to put yourself through that. And and I think it's real testimony to the women that do, because yeah, actually that, that takes a level of courage, which is quite actually impressive. But but the system shouldn't require that. There, there should be a way to balance all these interests in ways that, that like uphold dignity of everyone through the process. And I'm not sure what that would look like, actually. But I know it kind of needs to be thought about. And it's, yeah, there definitely needs to be reform. Just before we move on as well, you know, Emily, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. I was a bit struck by what you mentioned there as well. And obviously your your comments, and I, I totally get that because I'm going to be quite honest and not many people know this, but 
I was sexually assaulted when I was younger by a group of old lads. Um, and only a handful of people know this. And um, it, it it's quite shameful. And for me, it wasn't necessarily the fact that I didn't report it because I didn't really know what was going on. And it was only when I was joking on with a couple of pals two years ago that they flagged to me that that was sort of a grooming and, and sexual assault issue. Um, so, you know, I, I totally see where you come from because thinking back and looking back, having the strength to go forward, especially as a male, obviously, I wouldn't probably go through the ring as much as probably a female because, like you mentioned, the, 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 obviously what you were wearing, you know, the, this, the horrible thing that stigma that is obviously what she was wearing. She was the, this terms like she was, she wanted it and things like that, which is brutal terms, horrible terms. Um, mm-hmm. And you get torn apart. Like you see, you know, you see young women on the front of Chronicles on Facebook all the time, you know, there's no hiding from it. So I can totally see where you're coming from. And I, I take my hat off to sort of men and women who were in that situation and were brave to speak. You know, I've learned a lot from, um, from my pals and having that conversation and now obviously I'm aware of the signs and you know I think hopefully you're out there spreading the message as well because obviously I don't want people to be in a situation like I was Um, I just thought mm. it was a time to maybe open up and tell that to, to everyone that's all yeah. um, so I appreciate what you said because it took took bollocks no offence it took bollocks <laughs> to say what you said uh, yeah and what you've just said you know that's rough yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've known you for 12 years, Ethan, and I didn't know that. So firstly, I'm really sorry that that happened in your life. Um, and I hope you're okay now. And I hope you get the help if you've not already had the help that you need. Because, yeah, we've never had that conversation. And it's another thing on this podcast that I'm sorry that I didn't know because I regard myself as one of your good friends and I probably should have known that. So sorry. That's it's fine. Like um, not many people knew, and you know the situation was really tough when I was growing up, and I didn't really have my dad around. I mean, I couldn't. It wasn't something I could go my mum with, so it was sort of buried. And you know, ironically, I was having a laugh with my pals at work, and I tried to have the joke with the band and explain the situation. You know, I'll not go too deeply into it because it's it's quite traumatic. But and they pointed out the fact that it wasn't what young children do, especially with mm-hmm. older mm. children. Um, and yeah. all the male children as well. Um, so yeah, I just want to put it on and yeah. just tell you guys. And that's really striking, isn't it? Because like a lot of it, like it is sort of awareness. Like even recognizing that something's happened that wasn't right um, is is like almost step one, isn't it? And so much can get kind of normalized, and 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 other people kind of point it out for us. But also, I think men as well experience shame. I, you know, we we kind of see it in women, don't we? The kind of like slut shaming stuff. But I think. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there are certain narratives about men and sex that w- then it's not recognised their violation. Um, yeah. That so, idea so, of like, oh, well, men will just enjoy it. Like they always consent. Like it's no big deal. Right. But that's that's far from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's also a really key point that men, it, it's almost accepted that, well, a, a man can't, that, that can't happen to a man. Of course not. But we were even talking briefly before I quickly get onto the, the second question Marco had was, We've been on nights, like I've been on nights out and you, especially when I was like 20, 18, 19, 20, and there's maybe older group of women around a younger man. It's the grabbing, the touching, the, Mm. and 
it's socially accepted because you could be a young man out and I'm not saying it doesn't happen the other way. I'm definitely not saying that, but I'm saying that it does happen from women to men too. Mm. But equally, it's way more just trivial. It's accepted. Well, he's a man. You'll like that. It's And it's wrong. It, it really is wrong. Mm. I, I remember being like, can you please just stop? This is disgusting. Like, can you get off? Mm. I really don't like it. And I don't consider that a sexual assault. It probably is, mm. but I don't. Um, I, I don't I don't feel traumatized by it. I remember feeling annoyed by it. Like this is really inappropriate. Mm. Because if it was the other way around, the the consequences are way more severe the other way around than it would be in this sort of current scenario that we're in. Um mm. the, the question that Marco had, and, and I don't know if he's right in what he's suggesting here, but why is it that men are less likely to report sexual assault or sexual abuse than women? Or is that not a key thing? Is that not? Is that yeah, no, true? it definitely is. Underreporting, like among the male population or whatever, is is a big problem. Um, mm -hmm. And um, while even like the sort of underlying like data will show still a disproportionality. So like women, even once you've factored in the fact that there's underreporting more among men, like there is still a difference, but it, the difference becomes smaller um, mm -hmm. and much smaller. And I think you are. I mean, you've kind of half answered it, right? There's yeah. the idea of like, well, you are starting off, you don't even kind of define it as like a violation or or um, or, or, or a yeah. crime in any case. So if someone says, have you been sexually assaulted? You'd say no. But if they yeah. say, has X, Y, Z behavior ever happened to you? You might yeah. say yes. And there have been quite sort of interesting like studies done on that where, where if you ask people, have you been raped? You'll get a no to that but then if you ask them have you ever had sex where you didn't want to and you made it clear to the other person that you didn't want to and people will say yes to that but that is rape so um it's funny how people kind of define their own experiences and men it seems like are less likely to kind of feel this idea maybe because of this idea yeah it's annoying it's not like a power threat on me like mm -hmm. you know it's just frustrating so like we sort of see sexual assault as like a power play don't we and like something has to be happening there um but also i think you know that there is issues around like shame and stigma you know if you're a guy who says do you know what i was like forced sexually or somebody did something physically sexually to me that i did not want you know mm -hmm. that, that could be quite hard to stand up and say i mean it's hard to stand up and say as a woman but i think particularly like around the narratives i mean you do hear uh, so i was in a class um watching an rse lesson the other day and these boys were asked um okay imagine you're in a sexual situation you're in the bedroom um a girl is like really wanting to have sex with you and you're kind of not sure and she's like kind of just keeps touching you and keeps trying to like make it happen would you consider that an assault and the boys were like, oh, it depends how fit she is. And they all crack up laughing. And it was really mm -hmm. funny, like watching them bounce off each other and joke about this in the way that like boys do. And I thought, yeah, like how hard then would it be for a guy within like a, a social context to be like, do you know what? Actually, I did feel violated and doesn't really matter what she looked like. Yeah, you That's never still could. crime. No. Yeah, I just, so I, I think there's those, those sort of reasons. No. So I think mm -hmm. there's not a sort of set there's not a, like a linguistic there's not there's not something that men can actually use to articulate how they feel like it will be like oh i found it annoying oh i wasn't really mm -hmm. like it gets trivialized doesn't it in ways um that maybe we, yeah. we look at it differently with women yeah, yeah the, the only way i could th think about that mainly is so men are generally 
physically stronger than women. So a man can force that situation where because I was physically stronger and more able than those women, I could physically remove myself from that situation. So I was mm. able just to walk away. And if they did grab me, I could just move my arm because I'm stronger and remove mm -hmm. myself from the situation. And I think that's where it becomes more dangerous because if a man is sizably bigger and stronger than a woman and the woman tries and the man grabs her arm, she physically can't remove herself from that situation. Yeah. And that's where it becomes much more dangerous, isn't it? And that power dynamic. And I think something else women are aware of is the cost of rejection to some men, okay, in terms of, you know, the cost to you as the woman, because, you know, uh, like lots of women will tell stories of like, when you try to resist a guy's advances like that, or if they kind of say something to you on the street or whatever, they can then maybe like follow you or carry on kind of mm -hmm. hassling you. So you're very aware, say if a guy's grabbing you in a bar, you're very aware of how you manage that because where's he when you want to leave the bar? And like, if you're leaving, will he follow you and start, you know, doing mm -hmm. stuff there? So there's that real alarm bells that go off ringing, right? So there is yeah. a vulnerability there for women, but like, and, and I do think we need to kind of recognize that, like there's a glossing over that fact, but but yeah, I think there are other things going on. And you see that with, um, say, um, like domestic abuse within the home. Men mm -hmm. can be victims of that from their female partner. Like that, that is not rare. But like, yeah. it is this thing of like, well, well, how can your wife hit you? Like you're the guy, exactly, you're tougher yeah. than her. But actually it's yeah, the yeah. relationship dynamic. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of complexities there, but men do not want to speak up about those experiences of abuse within the home. Absolutely not you know yeah we've we've got some we've got i think we've got two guests coming on about that and i'm really interested in exploring that dynamic because i think mm. men because if you're not a violent man and you're around violence you you can physically stop the situation probably there's a, a fair likelihood because men are stronger than women generally mm. speaking um so he a man can probably stop the situation but the only way to stop the situation from happening time and time again is to retaliate. It, you go to the law, you, you report it. But if you don't want to report it because you're ashamed, the only other way is to engage in that f physical altercation and mm. win that physical altercation to stop that happening. Just like you would have to if it was a man versus a man. But actually, mm. the, the again, if a woman hits a woman slaps a man and a man hits her back, the man's probably getting in more trouble. Because the, the the man will leave a bruise and the woman might make leave a red cheek, and and that's yeah. I think that's possibly the difference where in those types of situations. And I'm really interested in understanding that situation more detail with the guests that we've got coming on because mm. again, that's a situation I haven't been in, but I can imagine it would be very scary because how do you remove yourself from the situation without saying I this has happened to me and it's and it's opening up and being embarrassed to do that isn't it because it's really mm. demasculating if that's a word or something yeah. along those lines yeah definitely and like you are taught aren't you guys are taught whatever happens with a woman you never engage in any yeah. physical stuff she could be hitting you and you can't retaliate and then so while you're a victim of a very problematic situation for you at the forefront of your mind is how do I handle this in such a way that I don't become defined as the perpetrator? And that's a really yeah. difficult relationship dynamic to manage. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what your other guests kind of say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we can bring you back for some of them, Emily. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be really cool. Um, Ethan, James, do you have any other sort of final questions? Because we are heading into sort of the last section 
where Ethan will move to his his hear no evil, see no evil part, which changes yeah, every so, week. Yeah, well, James, I don't know if you want any questions from you, and then I'll do my, as Lewis said, hear no evil, see no evil. Thanks for that, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think we, we've covered um, everything that I would have wanted to talk about. Um, everything that I've written down is being covered as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, while, yeah while, I, I, while I'm on the mic, uh, I'll say thank you very much. It's been really eye opening, and to yeah, hear has... this, uh, to have us talk about things like this, which we wouldn't, um, if it wasn't for you, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's been really good. So thank you very much, uh, for that. Yeah, I agree with that. Completely. Yeah, no, absolutely, my pleasure. Such an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah. And me, Emily. And just before I ask you my question, Emily, I just want to say, James, you have to work on your game show voice because you could probably dry paint with your voice, mate. No offence. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank no, you. No offence, mate. No offence. <laughs> uh, right, Emily. Uh, Emily, hang on, Emily. I just have to clarify. We we will always do this to each other. So the one thing we yeah. will always do is make sure that each other are aware of we can rip each other at any time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's consent, isn't it? You're all comfortable, you're all whatever, exactly. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So last one from me, Emily, before Lou gives you sign off. It's just we something a little bit of fun. It's called See No Evil, Hear No Evil, or Yeah, No Evil, See No Evil, depending what we can do. It changes it every um, week. I've changed every week. But basically, obviously, you've lived a very interesting life. You're really knowledgeable in the, in the subject you're in, and you, you give a lot of your time. But we ask that we recommend either a podcast, a book, or even a film, if you, if you can't read and you can't listen, um, just to our audience, something that you've read or listened to along the way across your journey, or something that you currently listen to that keeps you going. Um, like I say, it could be any format, um, audio book, podcast. Wow, yeah. I mean, I do love podcasts. Um, when I walk my dog, it's like my tire for podcasts and stuff. Um, so I could say millions, and I won't. Um yeah, what do I kind of really like, and particularly like for your audience, um, people might have already said this to you, or you might be familiar with it. You know, um, Stephen Bartlett does his Diary of a CEO podcast. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Like his, some of his guests are just, just they've like changed my life. Some of the things that they've said. I know that sounds like a very OTT thing to say, but like it's very insightful. And I think he really role models that kind of critical self awareness that can be quite yeah. difficult to be open about. And so I think it's quite interesting, like, to almost see his journey through like this podcast thing. Um, and I, I, so I do, I do like listening to that. Um, yeah. Um, I don't yeah, know. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can give us a book as well if you want, because I think I, I'd like another book. because Stephen Bartlett. So any books, it doesn't have to be yep. specific to, to our audience, to by our... the way, because like I say, to our audience, it can be any book. Oh, Wow. Oh goodness books. I mean, I I love reading. Um, God, you, you could now keep me here all night talking about books that I absolutely love. I um and now it's just all like going out of my head, you know? <laughs> my my bookshelf she, is huge. She's sto- and, boys, she's stalling. She's stalling. I, I am, I am stalling. My my family and friends would be like, Emily, for God's sake, you read so much. What how can you not like come up with something? Um yeah, but what, what type of I books read? do you like? Do you read like uh, self-help books, do you read uh, personal development, self... you read fiction, nonfiction. Yeah, um, kind of a bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. and I read sort of like new stuff, old stuff. Um, 
I, I love, um, well, I mean, my favorite book I, I've probably ever read is, um, is To Kill a Mockingbird. I think that book is, is just brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. Also like a little bit like Catcher in the Rye and um, The Talented Mr. Ripley. I quite like the um, internal monologue of like an anti-hero. Um, mm -hmm. And so I always kind of like and drawn to that sort of thing. Um, but then, yeah, I do like nonfiction books as well. I read a, a, a self-help book. Actually, I don't like read loads of self-help books, but but I read um, one. It was called um, it was called like The Courage to be Happy or how to or The Courage Not to be Liked. So there, there was two. So I think one of them was about the courage not to be liked. And then the other one was like how to be happy. And they were kind of like came together. And and the kind of premise of it was um, you've got to like learn what is your problem to deal with. So like it doesn't actually matter whether other people like you. That's for them to figure out. Like you don't, mm -hmm. that's, and, and this guy sort of, he, he, he like organized it in terms of tasks. He was like, it's not your task. That's their task. Your task is to like, be you and he like it all sounds a bit like oh god but but it but it isn't actually the way he like works it through I did find it quite sort of eye-opening and I was mm -hmm. like when certain people would react to whatever and I'd be like that's not my task it's all cool <laughs> um so that did make me feel quite good do you know what I did read I read the Tim Shipman books of um the behind the scenes on like all the Brexit um mm -hmm. referendum and the negotiations and oh my god! I mean, you'll just be like you'll lose faith in the competence of government. Like, I really want. I, I think I lost about, like, faith. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating though. Like the the, the behind the scenes stuff is a huge, huge collection. So yeah, I mean, there's loads, isn't there? I'm reading quite a lot of nonfiction stuff around like um the pandemic. You know, people have written about like reflective stuff on like how did we react and why and what does that kind of tell us about our society and stuff. And some of that's pretty, pretty depressing, but but worth reading. No, yeah. yeah, definitely person to read, hundred percent. Um, one book that always stays with me, and I know it's not my my go, Ethan, but um. Start with Why by Simon Sinek. If you like Bartlett, you would have seen Simon's been on his pod a couple of times now, fairly recently as well. Mm -hmm. But that's all around um, essentially how you do things with purpose. So everyone's really good at what they do. People, some people are good about how they do it. But to land true meaning in, in what you do and how you have a bigger impact is to lead with the why. Um, that is the mm. most profound book I've ever read. And I think once you start doing the things with purpose versus doing the things because it looks good or because you're good at it, um, the results in life seem to just take off. Mm. Do you know what? That reminds me of a, of a philosophical quote that I read a while ago, and it really changed like my whole perspective. It was like most people spend the majority of their time worrying about what other people think, and those other mm -hmm. people are barely giving them a moment's thought. And so, like, we, and basically, you know, it's like we all organize our decisions, don't we, around like, what will people think? And does this make me look good? And blah, blah, blah. And like, basically, people think about you maybe like once a month. They're not worried about what yeah, your job is right. or like what you're doing with your time or how big your house is or whatever. You know, they don't care actually. And you're chasing that and it's just so self defeating. Um, so, yeah, like that. And that's, and that's today's world, isn't it? We, we, we mm. are all. We are definitely all guilty of that one. I know I certainly am at times. Oh man, and in um, social media times, it's that, isn't it? It's like it's how it all looks, right? Even if it's not real. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's a scary place to live. Um, 
in today's mm. world because you don't know what is real and what isn't. Um, Emily, I'm going to wrap it up there mainly because we are well over time, but in a really positive way. <laughs> and and I think in a way that makes me sad that it's coming to an end because I feel there's so many more other layers of your knowledge we could definitely pick upon and learn from. And I personally want to really thank you for tonight. I've learned so much in just the way you think, um, how how important the work is that you do. And it's even highlighted to me further how we as a, a society of men need to be having more of these conversations because as Marco alluded to earlier, I felt uncomfortable talking about some of this stuff, not only from mm. me sharing my own experience, but me hearing other people talk about it. And I shouldn't feel like that, I don't think. And the only reason I do is because I don't hear these conversations very often. So mm. thank you very much for bringing your expertise to us and our audience because hopefully that will give people the inspiration to, to speak up and, and start having more conversations like this. Oh, I really hope so. And yeah, no, it's been absolutely my pleasure. And any good conversation should open more doors, shouldn't it? And raise questions and all that. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm so pleased. Yes. Well, thank, thank you for you having much. me on. Yeah, no, thank, thank you. Very much. Cool. Thank yeah, you. it's so good to meet you all. Great. And you. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Well, boys, we just had Emily on the episode there. What did you think? I thought that was a very thought-provoking episode. How am I tone, Sally? What you got? <laughs> go on, then. I'll, I'll go. I'll go then. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was good to be able to talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk uh, to your mates about. Um, and she really brought it out of us, I think. And some of the points that she was making, even about things that would, well, that did shock us. Um, yeah. It, it was really good to hear. Um, and hopefully um, we got our points across as well and that we want to change the stigma. Yeah, I think you're right. Ethan, how was it for you? I was nervous as fuck me. I was nervous, so <laughs> nervous about the whole thing. Because she, she's, yeah, she's, Obviously, she knows that stuff. She's really well educated. She's Emily's top class. You know what I mean? And how, um, what just... a good guest she was! But can we just comment yeah. on that? How, how yeah. open yeah, really and, and like she was a brilliant guest. I, I really yeah. enjoyed well, that. Me too. And, and that's the thing. That's why I was so nervous because I was like, "What can I say? What can't?" Like, what, like Marco broke the ice, and that's why I started the chuckle bit because Marco was saying stuff, and I was like. I wanted to say that, but I was scared too because I didn't want to <laughs> be rude. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, I'm like, I'm obviously thirty, but if someone says fucking penetration, sometimes I still giggle. But it's, like, it's because we're children. Things. We are children. Much, you know, when I when I had um, my surgery, just around the back of when I had my surgery, they have to they mm -hmm. tell you they've got to explore the back passage to make sure you, you obviously your discs haven't nearly took your limb off, and then. Um, yeah. Every time he said, every when they went to do it, I was making jokes saying, "Will you not buy his dinner beforehand? Are you wearing a ring? <laughs> Things like that." Just because I was so awkward. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, the doctor I had to say, "Will you stop laughing? Because you're going to tape your finger off up your ass." And he said, <laughs> "So you know, that 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 sums me up." But Lou, what about you? What did you think of uh, tonight's episode? I'm being honest. If I right, let me be really honest. As in, we're not on a podcast, and I'm not the host here. There was times I felt really awkward. There was times yeah. I felt like you. I don't know what to say. 
I don't know what I can say, what I can't say, what I should say, what I shouldn't. And I think that's really good. That is the first episode. And no disrespect to the other guests, because I, I felt like I've known what we can and can't and should and shouldn't say on the other episodes, because to a degree, it's impacted me. The This conversation, I haven't had any experience that's traumatized me or it been in situations where it's maybe been a problem. Maybe I have, and I just don't realize it. Um, but I think, firstly, she was a brilliant guest. She was so open, honest, came with loads of information that, again, I've never really considered. So so that was really helpful. Um, but more that the topic of conversation, I felt like I was 12. And I was talking about sex for the first time, almost like that time when your parents sit you down and have, Lewis, it's time. We need to have the sex education chat. We think you're ready for it. And you sat there awkward. Or the times when you're watching a film with your parents and a sex scene comes on and you're suddenly like, oh, this is awkward. There's a sex scene on the telly. I don't know if I should look or shouldn't look. If I don't look, do they think there's something wrong with me? And if I do, it's really awkward. Um, so yeah, th there was definitely almost those feelings for me a bit. Um, and it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in a podcast episode. But it's good I to go outside the comfort zone, isn't it? Yeah, I think we look looking, we'll looking back on it now. Yeah, I agree. I think we'll learn a lot from it. Um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, and it was better than I hoped it was ever going to be. And that's all credit to Emily and you guys for opening up, especially you, Ethan. Um, no disrespect to me, James and Marco, but you opening up on your your um, experience, I'm sure you will open up on that in full when you're ready to do so. But yeah, what a thought-provoking episode. 100% Lou and you know like I think credit to Emily being such a good guest as well as the fact that she made the conversation flow and by the end of it I was comfortable to open up and not many people know that like my mum doesn't even know and I'm not joking I'm going to yeah. have to have that chat to say you can't watch this episode or we're going to have to do something <laughs> so she didn't say yeah. it but um, you know it, it's it's one of those where she Emily sorry made such a a bit of rapport with us and she actually spoke about probably things that we thought about like the gray areas like Lou you were asking really thought-provoking questions and you were asking difficult questions as well you weren't just being you were being a really good host so credit you as well Lou because you weren't afraid to sort of ask the difficult questions which I think is but what you, we need to do on this. Do you know what I struggled with that though because I was thinking like what you were saying at the beginning I struggled to say am I asking something inappropriate because I, I didn't we probably could have done some work with Emily before the pod to know where the line was, being honest, to maybe make us feel more open. But I'm also glad we didn't, because in not doing so, I hope the, the listeners can see and hear that those conversations were actually difficult for us to have. And they're difficult because we don't have them. So the more we have these types of conversations, not just us as a group, but men in general, even women in general, the more likely it is that we're going to overcome some of the issues that we have in, in society. Exactly. You know, I'm just I'm so glad that we've got a chance to speak to her. Um, obviously, Lewis, I appreciate your little reference to you know, the Plymouth Argyle changing rooms, changing room banter with the what? boys oh, that you've got. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and also, Almost. I just want to say, 
before we sign off as well, before we sign off, I have to give everybody a massive thanks for staying awake during James's talks because I was fucking <laughs> going to sleep every time you opened his mouth. I can't I'm going to go and get speech that. lessons after this. Um, please do, mate. Please do. You really made me feel bad. I will send you some videos. It's a good job James literally doesn't care what you think, Ethan. So that's a good thing. Um, I will literally send you some videos, mate. It's You're 24. It's your second ever podcast. You just talked about the most difficult subject. I'm glad it wasn't your first episode, but it's yeah. just still your first week of ever doing a, pop, uh, a podcast. It's yeah, day never really, it's, it's, like, it's like public speaking, isn't it? Really, like, even though we're speaking to a small group of people, it, it is going out to a lot of people and you, it is Thousands on, your, of on people. my mind. It is on my mind um, the whole time. But yeah, I have been speaking for probably about 23 years now, so you'd think I'd be able to do it a bit more interestingly. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, just before we wrap up, um, just both of your thoughts, and feel free to ask me the same question. Um, what did you get from tonight? What 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 did you what was your takeaway from tonight? And I think that's the biggest thing. Not just what did we think from about the episode. What have you taken from the content that we discussed? So I, I don't really know. Um, obviously, I know you, Lewis, but the rest of the guys, I, I don't really know them too much. Uh, obviously, I did one episode with you, Ethan. Um, so kind of got that little bit of banter now, where you, you feel like you can rip me. Um, <laughs> Always, but but um, I feel like there's nothing off limits. Uh, when we when we're talking, um, mm-hmm. I I would feel comfortable if, if I had a story. Um, that I wouldn't be comfortable saying to people. I would be comfortable saying it in front of you guys. Um, mm-hmm. I think we are so open and honest. And the reason we're doing this is to get people to talk and open up. So I think if we're not doing it ourselves, yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, very very well put. Exactly, and just to tackle what James said there um but in a more vibrant tone um i got <laughs> I, I got i got closure from that episode did I you get closure, closure though because you didn't open up i have to ask you i'm going to push back on that i don't think you got closure i think you've you've started a conversation that you now need to have wider oh definitely you know but the, the first step's always the hardest and i think you know, something that I'm still coming to terms with, you know, especially in the circumstances and nobody knows there was only three people other people that knew and I worked with mm-hmm. all three of them. Um, you know, to, to to say that was a big step and credit to Emily, as I've mentioned already, for, for helping me do so. So I think it was a weight off my shoulders, probably not closure, probably that's the wrong word to say, but it's a weight off my shoulders. And as a conversation we'll probably have a later day with an expert. I didn't want to overpower Emily. I just wanted to make her aware that I saw her point of view and what she was saying is is valid and relevant because she, she knows that already. She's an expert in her field, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, mm-hmm. that's what I'll be taking. What about you, Lewis? Um, I took, as always, after every single episode, and I'm not just giving us props because it's our podcast, but that we're doing the right thing. And if we are feeling awkward and challenged having these conversations, and we've um accepted that we're going to have really challenging conversations so we're already in a positive place around we are tackling these conversations head on we know we're doing it and we feel really awkward having the conversations how do people feel who are probably what you were feeling for years ethan having that built up inside and not knowing how to deal with it and really struggling with it 
I hope we're giving them, and especially you, Ethan, not us. You and Emily tonight have absolutely made this episode. You opening up, but Emily also encouraging people and giving some of, of the facts around it. Hopefully that makes people feel who've gone through some level of trauma or are struggling with thoughts in their head to open up and talk about it. Because as you say, the first step is the hardest. And taking that first step might just mean that you go on to live a much happier and positive life because you can put some of the demons and the the dark times in your past to bed and move forward in a positive way. Exactly, mate. Couldn't have said better myself. And we'll, we'll end on that. So thanks for the night, boys. Yeah. I really appreciate your efforts. Um, Cheers, lads. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Until next time. See you later, boys. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye.